All right, good to see you. Always happy to have you here on, on summer, summer nights. As always, uh, glad to have you guys with us. If you have not been with us, uh, to catch you up, we are going through the book of Genesis, the Genesis tract of, of the lectionary text, which is in Abraham's story right now, although we're not going kind of verse by verse. And so last week we talked about the call of Abraham, and this week we are in chapter 18, which means there are six chapters that we've skipped from week to week. Um, Abraham, or Abram, as he was, was called last week, was told he was going to be the father of a nation, although he had no children, was told that he was going to be blessed to be a blessing, which is what we talked about last week. You can catch the podcast if you weren't here. Um, and of course, all this is a problem because Abram uh, and his wife are in their 70s or above. They're unable to have kids even when they were young enough to have kids. And so they're given this promise. Abram's going to have this great nation that comes from him, and they're not sure what to do, right? And so in the weeks leading up to what we'll talk about this week, they hatch their own plan, uh, the very reasonable plan of having Abraham impregnate someone else. And so uh, they take the handmaid, uh, Hagar, and Abram, uh, Abraham impregnates her. She has a son, Ishmael, and they work off the assumption that this will be the fulfillment of what God has promised Abraham. It just won't be through Sarah, right? So uh, as you can imagine, uh, this is a very messy, Jerry Springer-like uh, relational situation that's happening as Ishmael is growing up among uh, Sarah and Abram and, and everyone else, and this is what's happening. Uh, Hagar is there, Ishmael is there, growing up among Sarah, who's, you know, this is, I'm sure, feeling all kinds of things. And then in chapter 17, right before where we talk, where we're going to really get into this week, uh, God comes back to Abraham and then gets suddenly very specific, not just that Abraham is going to have a great nation coming from him, but also about Sarah. And it says this in chapter 17, verses 15 through 22. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, at this point she's Sarai, not Sarah yet, uh, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and also give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. God said, No, but your wife Sarah shall bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will bless him, make him fruitful and exceedingly numerous. He shall be the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this season next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So Abraham knew there's a great nation coming from him. They knew that Sarah couldn't have a child. They came up with plan B, hence Ishmael, Hagar and Ishmael. Now God is saying specifically, no, 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 not just you, you and Sarah. Sarah will have a son. Sarah's son will be the one with whom I have this covenant. And it says Abraham fell on his face laughing because that's funny. It's a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, right? And he reminds God, Look, I've already got a son. He seems perfectly great. How about Ishmael? God says, look, I'll take care of Ishmael. But Sarah's going to be the one. Right? 
So this is all that happens leading up to the text today. A little bit later on then, we have Sarah and Abraham, now 90 and 100 years old, and we read the following in Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, he looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flowers, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. <clears throat> now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of a woman. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I be fruitful? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, yes, you did laugh. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks, thanks be God. to God. All right, so tonight I want to talk about comedy finding its way into tragedy. And I want to start with the tragedy of the story, and I don't want to pass it by too quickly. Since we know how this story ends, since we know what's going to happen, it can be easy for us to skip over the genuine heartache, thank you for illustrating the point, the genuine heartache at play here for Sarah and Abram, Abraham. If you've ever been a person who struggled with pregnancy, while others were not struggling with pregnancy, you know what this is like. It's deeply personal. It's a painful thing to go through. It's why we include it each week in our prayers. Because in our 15 years, We've celebrated a lot of pregnancies and a lot of births. And there's also been a lot of sometimes quiet suffering from people who were struggling. It's real. It hurts. It's hard to put a fine enough point on the wounds that Sarah would be carrying here at 90 years old. In her time, in her culture, it was her role to give birth. And she could not. The disappointment the shame and the feeling of blaming herself on behalf of Abraham's now stunted bloodline and his family lineage. It hurts. This is a wound, an old wound for her, one that has maybe calloused over, but it is there nonetheless. By the time she is 90, Sarah is 100% resigned that what she had one day hoped for would not happen. She knew that to be true. She knows the deal. 
She's built the calluses needed to survive this bad news. The case has been closed. She has done what any good counselor would tell her to do, accept the world on the world's terms, move on, figure out how to live with the world as it is, right? She's accepted that which she cannot change. Her story is a tragedy. And then laughter starts. First Abraham, who falls on his face laughing, and then Sarah, who hides behind the tent flap, door, whatever it is, and laughs to herself. Laughter shows up. It's counterintuitive. But I think it makes sense, and I think we all know that emotions are not really a straight line, uh, but more like a horseshoe. A lot of times the extremes are a little closer together than you think they should be. Somehow the two ends get more intimate when it comes to comedy and tragedy. The great occasions, our weddings, our births, have a lot of tears involved. I've, I don't know that I've ever been at a funeral, even the most tragic funerals, where there is not some laughter. Something about those two things, they tend to travel together when you feel like they shouldn't. A lot of times they happen at the same time because they're not as far apart as you might assume. I, at very least, use this as an excuse for my, uh, my sense of humor. Because I just like the gallows humor. I laugh the most at things that take place in a situation where laughter shouldn't be happening. Right? When something categorically not funny takes an unexpected turn, that tends to make me laugh. I would share with you some of my favorite jokes to illustrate that but I would like you to come back next week. The best jokes have an unexpected interrupting of things. Frederick Buechner, probably my favorite author, uh, says this in his, in his book, uh, The Gospel is Comedy, Tragedy, and Fairy Tale. Terrific book, one of my favorites of all time. But he says, tragedy is the inevitable, and comedy is the unexpected. Tragedy is the inevitable, and comedy is the unexpected. And again, I think the best jokes have an unexpected interrupting of the inevitable, right? They bring a life and playfulness to that which is dark and doomed. I, I saw a perfect example of this just a couple weeks back. There was a, a, a comedian that came to town. Uh, did any of you go see the Brian Hamilton when he's in town? Literally just me? Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks for participating in our local economy, but um, no. So he's a nationally known comedian, very funny guy. Uh, he got up and within, within two minutes, he said, uh, so most of you know what's happened with me in the last year and a half if you followed me at all, and I did not know. And then he announced, I got hit by a bus. And there was kind of laughter, and he was like, no, really, I got hit by a bus. And then he went on to tell the story of being hit by a bus. And he spent the next probably 25 minutes, I think it would be fair to say, 25 minutes making joke after joke after joke about a truly awful incident in his life. I mean, part of what he started with is it's hard to know how to react when something happens to you that is always used as the example of what's the worst thing that could happen to someone. Like, be careful. You could walk outside and get hit by a bus. And he said, I did. He had broken bones. He was in the hospital. He had all kinds of things going on. And we were all just dying laughing for 25 minutes at joke after joke after joke from the worst thing that had ever happened to him, right? Something about comedy 
and tragedy travel close together. And I want to hold some things in tension tonight. I want to hold in tension that comedy and that tragedy. And I also want to hold together uh, the tension in this text, which is this text is really intended to show us uh, what a lack of faith looks like in some ways. And I want to be true to that. I don't want to try and excuse the fact that it does play that role in this text, but I also want to extend a little bit of grace. I want to be true to the story that shows that Sarah and Abraham should have maybe had a little more faith when God tells them this news. That's fine, but I want to be gracious to them because this situation is absurd. It's hilarious. It should be funny. If their laughter is somehow a sign that faith was lacking, I want to go on record and say that I would be laughing with them. It's just crazy, right? You tell a 90-year-old woman who cannot get pregnant that she will have a baby fathered by a 100-year-old man whose romancing days, I'm sure, are far behind him. It is both the funniest, darkest, kindest, and cruelest thing you could say to Sarah in this situation. It is comedy and tragedy all wrapped up in one. It opens up an old wound, and it makes you laugh at the same time. It defies categorization, right? What other reasonable response could any person have in this situation except for laughter? Even if it is an expression of a lack of faith to some degree. It would be exceptionally bizarre if Sarah heard this word from three strangers she had never met in the other room or outside the tent and then just casually started knitting baby booties in response. You have to laugh. Of course, of course she laughs till she cries. Of course she's a little embarrassed about the tragedy and the comedy of it all and then denies laughing at all to those who ask. She must have been all over the place emotionally. Okay, maybe it's technically a lack of faith. But that is an outlandish promise to make to her. And I think we show her grace because I think God is in on the joke. After all, God tells them they've got to name this son Isaac. And Isaac's name means laughter. God wants the child's entire life to be a testimony of the absurdity of the promise that God has made to him. You could argue that when the things we claim God has promised to us stop making us chuckle a little bit, maybe we've stopped paying close enough attention. As usual, uh, Walter Brueggemann puts it best in his commentary on this passage. He writes this. I think I have it on the slide. He says, Abraham and especially Sarah are not offered here as models of faith, but as models of disbelief. For them, the powerful promise of God outdistances their ability to receive it. Once again, this story shows what a scandal and difficulty faith is. Faith is not a reasonable act which fits into the normal scheme of life and perception. Let me read those, those two sentences again. What a scandal and difficulty faith is. Faith is not a reasonable act which fits into the normal scheme of life and perception. The promise of the gospel is not a conventional piece of wisdom that is easily accommodated to everything else. Embrace of this radical gospel requires shattering and discontinuity. The good news is comedy invading tragedy. The unexpected interrupting the inevitable. The unbelievable overtaking the predictable. It's a pregnant 90-year-old. 
It's thousands being fed by one little kid's lunch. It's an epic party thrown for a missing son who arguably needs anything other than another party at this point in his life. It's God crucified and then raised from the dead. It's a sacrificial lamb somehow winning the cosmic war at the end of time against evil. Why wouldn't you laugh a little? It's too good not to be a little funny. The big question of faith for us is the same as it was to Abraham and Sarah. The question we are left to answer is the same one given to these geriatric parents. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And of course, the faithful answer is, even when uttered through laughter-induced tears, the faithful answer to is anything wonderful for the, too wonderful for the Lord is no. Nothing is too wonderful. No, God by definition is not limited by what we know to be possible in our wounded and cynical hearts. No, sometimes miracles still happen this side of eternity and they should bring a smile to our faces. We can't manufacture them, can't explain them, they are not inevitable, but we cannot be people of faith and rule out the unexpected and unexplainable. Now, I'm like you. I am rightfully, I think, suspect of anyone who creates a commodity out of the miraculous, right? I give no space for those who sell the secret formulas of unlocking God's miraculous healing and prosperity to those willing to pay for it. I am not a successful televangelist for many reasons. This is one of them. God is not a commodity, cannot be packaged and sold to needy consumers, not how this works. There's no secret formula for me to teach you for you to access the hilariously miraculous. But with that said, if we become such realists that we don't even hold out the possibility that something truly miraculous and unexpected can happen, then what are we really doing here? If this faith of ours is really just, to use Brueggemann's terms, conventional piece of wisdom easily accommodated to everything else, what difference is it actually making? If we can't open ourselves up to the unexpected, interrupting the inevitable, then what is our faith about? We are good news people in a bad news world. And we should be laughing sometimes. Again, there is no formula. It often doesn't happen this side of eternity. We all know this. But miracles happen. Some of you never thought that you would hold the child you get frustrated at every night. Some of us never imagined we would put together a couple sober days in a row, let alone years. Some of you aren't even supposed to be here still. And some of us were never ever going to darken the doors of a church again. Joke's on us. These were all reasonable things to know about the life that was still in front of us. But something happened. Something brought that smile to your face right when you least expected it. Comedy showed up into tragedy. And faith is that sometimes impossibly small place within ourselves that allows for the chance that it could happen again. That even in the deepest wounds we carry, one day, 
We may cover our own mouths with both hands and laugh until we cry too. That out of our deepest wounds, one day we too may hide our faces in our hands and laugh until the tears fall. May we never forget that the joke is on us. Let's pray. Our gracious God, may we be a people who can endure and encounter the world as it is. May we have our feet firmly planted on the ground, Lord. We know this world is broken. We know our own lives are often very broken. God, we are not asking for some kind of uh, suspension of disbelief where we just pretend everything is okay when it's not. May we follow you, an incarnate God, who came and dwelt among even the messiest and dirtiest and bloodiest parts of this place. But God, may we also be people of faith. May we not close ourselves out to the unexpected and the miraculous. May we keep our ears tuned for the comedy that invades our tragedies. And Lord, in a world that feels often hopeless, whose end often feels determined, may we get the joke of your good news. God, we do love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.